Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where we bring you conversations with experts in fields related to urban farming and dive a little deeper into some of the important issues of our time. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today in this bonus podcast, we have our resident seed expert, Bill McDormand, sharing some seed wisdom and discussing issues that might occupy the thoughts of those of us who are saving seeds. Well, welcome, Bill McDormand. Bill McDormand is the executive director of... Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance and runs the website seedsave.org along with Bell, his wonderful wife. So welcome, Bill. Uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor to be here, Greg. And I'm looking forward to questions from all of you out there. Let's use this time. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that we should probably talk about <laughs> <laughs> in this juncture in the 21st century if we're all going to make it together. So um, yeah. uh, bring any question you want. Onto this, both Greg and I have a lot of experience, and uh, if we can help anyone, we will. And if we don't know the answers, we'll help you find somebody who does. Perfect. And I really want to take a moment, Bill, and thank you from the depths of my heart that you are willing to continue doing this. We've been offering Seed School online for, oh my gosh, would you believe it's coming up on three years now? Oh, wow. And, yeah. Oh, it's such and, a you know, new thing, yeah. Yeah, and your you know, your dedication and commitment to seed saving and, and meeting with me online once a month and saying hi to everybody and so thank you, thank you very much for that. Well, thank you. We, it wouldn't be happening without you and I know you have put in endless hours and money. You know, people say, Oh, I'm gonna start a podcast thing or I'm gonna <laughs> do online education. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, it's it just another one of those things that can swallow a whole person's life. And so, yeah. you know, and I know you've dived into that, and it's been to the benefit of all of us. So thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I tell people often it's, you know, it's kind of, it's what I have to do. It's my calling in the world. So, yay, I'll take it. Yeah. So you can find out about yeah. our podcast at urbanfarmpodcast.com. 
and our website, urbanfarm.org, and you know, there's all kinds of information out there. But let's get started. You, you know, it's always interesting for me, Bill, when we jump into our monthly seed chat to see what you're going to come up with, and I absolutely love, you know, what you proposed here a little while ago. And I, I want you to start it off with a, you know, the kind of the backstory. Give us a minute or two of the backstory. Wow. Okay. So we have a seed school teacher training coming up in Denver, Colorado in October. And we have one of the great permaculture teachers is helping to facilitate that course because he not only taught permaculture, he taught permaculture teacher training. Train mm. the trainer for permaculture. Benjamin mm. Farr is his name. And as I like to say, he came out of the great explosion of permaculture education on the West Coast and the convergences there where they were so good at learning from each other how to do it. And they, mm -hmm. I think they've reached a level of excellence that, well, I th decades from now, we'll look back and go, wow, that was really great what they've developed. So Benjamin's helping us with our seed school teacher training. We've got mm. 26 students now, I think, signed up nice. to learn. And so as we were going over the curriculum and how we we're going to do this, I remembered that Benjamin taught his permaculture teacher training by teaching the 12 permaculture principles. And if you're not familiar with those, look those up. They're sort of the pillars of that movement. Every mm -hmm. course addresses those principles. And so his permaculture teacher training did also. So about half the course was learning again and reinforcing and fleshing out those principles in your own mind so you could get really solid in them and teach them. And then the other half of the course was learning how to teach them and actually teaching them to other members of the class and whatever. So Benjamin's first question about seed school teacher training was, what are the principles? <laughs> what nice. are the seed diversity principles? And I went, yeah. oh, oh God, you know, what a great question. You know, so this is the challenge I want everyone to think about tonight. What are our principles. Mm -hmm. Every course that goes on, every seed saving course, short one, our lecture, if it's part of a seed library, if you guys are doing all day courses sometimes, some of you might be, we do six day courses. What are the principles that should be taught in every single one of those courses? The same as those pillars in permaculture that have made that movement successful worldwide. I don't think we've really thought about that as a community yet. And so I spent the last month or so emailing. I've been talking about this. I've been emailing other seed school teachers, great ones, uh, Rowan White, who does her Seed Saber program. Don Tipping's uh -huh. got his Seed Academy. Ken Green has been teaching seed saving on the East Coast with his Hudson Valley Seed Library. And so, you know, the idea was, and I, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we all knew that we were all at least touching on some principles every time we taught. Right. You know, wouldn't that bring some cohesion to it? And so at this point, Greg, it's a consensus thing. And we're nice. open for suggestions. Yeah. And let's hopefully carve into granite these principles in the next, I don't know, period of time. And hopefully they'll stand the test of time if we're good enough at our job. This is real, what I used to call my staff at Native Seed Search. Uh, this is real Lincoln level. Oh, yeah. Stuff, you know. Yeah. Okay. I got my hand up yeah. on here. Can, well, I, can I throw in a principle? Yeah, please, do it. Save seeds. Well, that uh -oh. one's so obvious that it should be number one. What? That's great. That's what we do. Save oh, I seeds. was kind of being funny here. 
No, but I love, you know, but none of it's going to be funny. I think we, what this will be an exercise in is finding out what our commonality is. Ah, you yes. know, what do we all believe together, mm-hmm. if anything, about all of this? I don't know. You know, how do we do like Lincoln and write a four-paragraph thing that changes the world, you know? Yeah. How do you get everything you want to say down to four paragraphs? How can we do this in ten principles? I don't know. So, give us well, one. Well, let me give you my shot. So, my number one principle, the first one is, no one should suffer from hunger, food insecurity, or malnutrition. Uh, and this right. really isn't specific to seed diversity, but it is in a way, if you think about it. We already have over a billion people that are starving on the planet, and another billion that are hungry. So, of the seven billion people on the planet, we already have two billion that are hungry. And yet, over and over in industrial agricultural circles, we hear this call and need for industrial agriculture and for mm-hmm. genetic modification. Why? Because we've got to feed billions of people. Well, what I would argue is they don't subscribe to principle number one. How do you get it so no one suffers from hunger, food insecurity, or malnutrition? Because their systems don't work to do that. They never have. Right. They don't address that. And until they give away those seeds for free and stop patenting them, you know, we know that they're not really interested in everyone. So right. I think the first principle should be no one should suffer from mm-hmm. any kind of hunger, food insecurity, or malnutrition, and just anchor our whole enterprise in the big picture. Otherwise, right. you know, it's not a real principle. I would right. argue, I don't know. Beautiful, beautiful, love that. Okay, and then, so I follow up with a number two that says, the long-term survival of the food system. This is the system that will feed everyone depends upon seed diversity, you know, and that's this, you know, ecological principle that the strength of any ecosystem is its diversity. Mm-hmm. If you oh, don't yeah. have enough diversity and, and nature always changes, you're going to lose it. And that's really how our food system is right now. And so we need seed diversity in order for our food system to be long-lasting, you know, resilient and sustainable. Oh, and yeah. I guess that's the principle that started me on this whole path in 1979. You know, I realized that we'd monocropped everything. I wanted mm-hmm. to live in the Mountain West. We don't have any seeds in the Mountain West. Still don't, really, that come from the Mountain West to propel an agriculture that will feed us for even my daughter's lifetime, let alone her daughters right. and sons. And so, so, yeah, that's number two is that just remember our food system depends on its seed diversity. It rests on it. When you go to the farmer's market and, or you go to a great restaurant and you get involved in this great new local food movement, ask them where the seeds come from. <laughs> See if those yeah. are local. Right. See if they have a huge diversity to pick from. And yeah. if not, boy, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, well, you've, also, you've often told me that you can't have local food without local seeds. Well, I, I truly, but you can't have it last for very long. Right. You know, what happens if the same kind of storm that just hit Houston hits Johnny's selected seeds, which also would hit high mowing, which are two of the three seed companies that, that you know, serve most of the farmer's market farmers around the United States. Mm-hmm. And they don't have their seeds. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's just one example of what could happen, but, and I could give lots of others, and maybe there'll be questions about that. I don't know, you know. I don't know. You know, you've been so great at picking up on the seed thing and 
and learning like I have that it's, you know, this is not an overwhelming or PhD project, you know. No. If you just leave your leave your basil <laughs> in your backyard <laughs> right, exactly. and forget about it, exactly. you end up being a good seed saver. So. Or I'm going to plant a seed right now because we're going to talk about this before the event's uh, over. Do your own great American seed up where you're at. You know, that's a, yes. that's an amazing event, which, again, we'll talk about toward the end. That's an amazing event that plants, literally plants a local food, local seed economy. And that's the whole. Right. In one event, you in one change, event. start to change things. Yeah. Yeah. We we need more stuff like that. Did you did you dream that up? What a great idea. <laughs> you Gosh. and Belle and I happened to have been a couple of, three years ago on the beach in Mexico hanging out around Thanksgiving. And it literally that idea, the great American seed up happened in the last 15 minutes that I was there before we drove out. So, wow. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be together a week just to get to that yummy part. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Number three, and then we'll get to the great American seed up. I promise. Okay. Number three is every food crop seed is the result of thousands of years of human care, ritual, and story. This is what we forget. Everything we eat was once a wild plant. What yeah. we would probably consider now, in fact, in most cases, wouldn't even recognize the wild plants they came from, and in almost all cases would be inedible to us. Right. So how did they get from wild plants like teosinte for corn or chiltepines for modern peppers Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you could just go down the list. Wild gourds that produced our cucumbers and melons. I mean, how, you know, how did that happen? Well, it's it was intentional, and it took thousands of years of human care, ritual, and story. And that's one of the, we should remember that. Every time you hold a seed, doesn't matter whether it was genetically modified or not, the majority of the work that went into that happened for the last 10,000 years. And for that, we should be thankful. And I think understanding that principle will help us be more thankful about that. Mm-hmm. And so principle number four follows from that then. It said seeds are gifts from our ancestors mm-hmm. oh, and yes. should not be privatized. How can you own something? How can you let 238 generations of rituals create corn and you go in and tweak one or two genes and say, oh, I own it now. It's mine. I mean, it just belies any sort of rational understanding of what humans, human history is and what ecology and nature are. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So yeah. that's a principle. And I know that's one of the ones that Bandanashiva and farmers and gardeners throughout the world are starting to wake up to. Now we have a new open source seed movement initiative in the United States, which is starting to understand that. And and those are plant breeders that are even under, it even hurts them. So, okay, number five. With seeds then, we inherit a responsibility to care for and pass on seed diversity to future generations. And so if you deal with seeds at all, and I would argue if you eat, even if you just eat, somebody else had to deal with seeds to get that food to you. You have a responsibility to preserve the seed diversity that we have, if not increase it and pass it on safely to future generations. That's what they all did. You know, how, how can you save 
Teosinte seeds for 238 generations, carefully enough to produce corn, and then in our generation lose 90% of the diversity. Yeah. You know, that's what we've done, really. We're not using it anymore. Wow, that's kind of a fail, <laughs> especially if it's fundamental to our survival in our food system. And so that's just one of the principles. So number six is seed diversity is best created, is most created in a dispersed and grassroots manner. Right now we have all this rush toward genetic engineering and toward more intensive industrial plant breeding so that we can get drought tolerant. And now we're going to need lead tolerant varieties into our fields because of yeah. the swings that we're experiencing in global climate change. And so and there's this implied notion that that's going to be enough, that we're going to be able to do this. But here's the underlying explanation to this principle is that the more people you have growing and saving seeds where they are, the more diversity you get. If you get millions of people involved in this, the way humanity always has, you get huge amounts of diversity because every time you save seeds, it's a little bit different. It's adapted to where you are. You yeah. can never replicate that in a centralized or industrialized system. There's just no way to do that. And so it's a grassroots movement, people. This is the grassroots movement of our time. It has to be done. It's biological that it has to be done in a dispersed and grassroots manner. That means all us little people get, not only get to do this, we have to do this. Yeah. Okay, so if we're going to do this, really, then the next principle, number seven, is seed education is fundamental to the creation and care of seed diversity, especially right this. now. We have to teach everybody how to do this. That's what Seed School Online is about. That's why you and I are so crazy about this whole thing. Yeah. You know? it, but now you can see how it fits into these principles, you know. Oh, yeah. There's nobody coming to help us. There's no centralized system that's going to save us. And so we have to do this. So what do we need to do? Get everybody doing it. And that means seed education. That's the number one thing. When I was director at Native Seed Search, we tried to move that to the top of the list. What, how can you be a seed conservation organization and not understand that that's your most important role? There's nobody else, no other way to do this. All right? So mm -hmm. number eight, number eight each, uh -huh. region, each region has a responsibility to provide safety backup for its seed diversity. That's a principle. Right now, if all the seed libraries in and around the Houston, Texas area had backed up each other's seeds, guess what? They're all gone. They're all right. gone. They could have varieties from growers that were 100 years old that no one else in the world had that were being passed around Houston that are gone, folks. All gone. Safety backup outside of your region is now mandatory. You know, you need mm -hmm. to, there's a responsibility there now to get a small sample of all the best stuff that that region has. And that means some new level of organization. And frankly, it's a simple way of explaining what the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is about. That's all we are, is right. people that understand these principles that know now we have a responsibility to save this stuff because we have new challenges. 
on some scales that people have never had. Of course, we've had tornadoes and things like that, but now we've got Category 5 tornadoes with 200-mile-an-hour winds that are 50 miles wide. Nobody's ever had that before. Right. And so these are the kinds of things we've been thinking about. And then the last principle, I only have nine here. Nine, uh-huh. The last principle is seed stories must be preserved. Seed stories must be preserved. If you think about it, seed stories are the way we know how to save the seeds and how to care for them mm, and right. how to use them and how to care for ourselves in many, many ways. Rowan White, if you ever get a chance, has the most wonderful lecture about her people from the Iroquois Nation and mm-hmm. how seed saving taught them how to care for themselves in a big picture, taught them who they were, taught them how to care for their kids and educate them and bring them up. Seed saving and their stories were fundamental to everything they did. I know the Hopi feel the same way. Seeds are the reason they know how to be Hopi yeah. and why they would call themselves Hopi people if they do it well. And so seed stories must be preserved. We often forget about that in our modern industrial gene banks, mm-hmm. which have reduced these things just to genetics so they can fix specific disease repo- problems, which is, I, in my own opinion, are Band-Aids that are going to be too late for yeah. some of the problems we have. It may be, you know, I'm not, I don't want to diss anything. We need everything at this point, you know. Everybody's involved with seeds, thank you. But there are different methods, and I think they need to learn these other ones or honor them also. So I'm going to add number 10, and it's the one that I jokingly started with. Okay. And that is save seeds. You know, actually get out there and do it, because in your list, there isn't a call to action to actually go out and save seeds. Wow, I love that. Yeah. I love it. See see how this is why one person can never do this. Yeah. We need the group mind, folks, on this, you know, what, and so we can pass these on. So what is this? This is our chance to be great. Yeah. You know, this is our chance to be like the Iroquois Nation, who are the first democratic peoples on the continent, you know, and wrote down principles for democratic um, decision making, you know, that are still, that made it into the Declaration of Independence, little known. You know, how can we be great? How can we sit around in our council circles long enough to come and chew this stuff up enough together to come up with this stuff? I love these kinds of challenges. So thank you, Greg. Duh. (laughs) I love it. It's all good. It's all good. I, like I said, I kind of threw it out there as a funny at first, but then it, you know, it, it kind of wraps your nine principles into a bow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and it leaves people with, and this is what we, I know you believed it too. You know, everywhere we go, everybody, we believe, everybody everywhere can save seeds. Yes. And, and our society will be better if we do that. Yep. If everybody saves seeds, we'll be better. Yeah. This isn't a modern thing, and it's not a specialized thing. It's like, you know, after the guy who uh, was an insurance executive in the Transamerica building in San Francisco, that's that big pyramid-shaped one, called me up one time and said he had successfully grown and saved Siberian tomato seeds um, in pots outside his window in the Transamerica building. Yep. And he was selecting to, selecting for the best tomato for San Francisco summer Transamerica building climate. You know, <laughs> If that guy can do it, 
Anybody can do it. And that's what we should all be doing because that's what kept him alive. He was on the planet then. He was thinking about bigger cycles. Right. I think in so many of the technological lives we have now, that's what we've lost touch with. Mm-hmm. We need a way back. And this could really help us. And then, as this guy pointed out, Bill, you don't get it. I'm just getting better tomatoes <laughs> for my sandwiches. You know? Bonus. Yeah. Bonus. So, hey, we've got some questions. We've got Terry from Aurora, Colorado. She said, I've found that save seeds is a good principle. Even if I have not protected the strain, I have had some fabulous veggies and flowers come of crosses in my mini ecosystem suited to my level of sunlight or rainfall. Brilliant, Terry. You want to you wanna speak to that, Bill? Well, that's it exactly. It's a real simple way of explaining the real magic in this, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't save seeds, you've passed up the greatest opportunity for you to personally deal with the most powerful technology humanity's ever run into. Yeah. And that's that built-in replication and adaptability that each seed represents. If you just plant it and grow a plant, that's not taking advantage of that. All of that genetic magic, you know, to adapt it to where you are. And so congratulations, Terry. You know, you're on our side. Yeah. I hate to tell you that once you're, you've done that, you're never going back. You know, that's the problem <laughs> with this. You know, be careful if you walk in here, folks, because you're never going back. It's just too yeah. good. You know, yeah. there's just too much magic and juju in here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We were just – today – we were pulling parsley seeds. So I've got this parsley that grows wild in the yard here at the urban farm for about the past decade. And it just reseeds itself and reseeds itself and reseeds itself. And I'll bet you that I have a pound of it, of parsley seed, that we're going to oh. have for takeaways at the Great American Seed Up here coming at, uh, in about a month. And it's, Big bowls of seed, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big bowl. A pound of parsley is a lot of parsley. Uh, that's a, yep, that yeah. it is. That it is. If you so, planted that out at, at the proper spacing, um, they could see it from the space shuttle. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. A pound it's, of it's parsley, probably, yeah. What, 400,000 seeds or something? Yeah, it's a huge amount of seeds. Yeah, perfect. And you did all that right where you are. That's what we're talking about, the potential energy. And all of that could have come out of one seed. Yeah, right, exactly. And it probably did. Yeah, yeah. It probably Uh started. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So just for for those of you listening out there that are not familiar with the Urban Farm, the Urban Farm is my house. It's a third of an acre in north-central Phoenix. So a third of an acre is only about 13,000 square feet. That's 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep-ish. And here we have about 80 fruit trees on the property and an ongoing edible landscape that produces food 12 months a year. Well, and what I like about it, Greg, the most is it doesn't look like one of those hippieville things that oh, the you. planning department wants to plow right. under. Yeah, you, exactly. you, from the very beginning, wanted this to fit into the idea of what people have about suburbia. Yes. You know, or you know, uh, city homes, and you've done such a spectacular job. You, when you see it and you look, you go, "Oh, there's probably eight fruit trees here." You know? Right. I right. love Not how you've done it. Yeah. Not 80. Exactly. But I want to kind of touch base on number one. Where was it? Number one. 
No one should suffer from lack of food or malnutrition. And there's something that I have learned over the past couple of decades studying permaculture, and that is that there is only, only one place on the planet where this notion of lack lives, and it ain't yeah. in nature. You know, when we look right. at natural systems in nature, there is so much abundance. It is mind-blowing the amount of abundance that's out there. And so what I tell people is that this place where lack lives is between our ears. Yes. You know, if you think about wow. it, the only place that lack lives, because when I walk out to the fr in the front yard in June and look at my apple tree hedge and I'm pulling – you know, 150, 200 apples off of three trees that are, you know, baseball size, there, there's no lack of, there's no lack there. And yeah. so if we could just, you know, and I'm going to actually connect this to something that happened about 10 years ago for me. Uh, I was watching the Today Show one day and they were doing this segment about this family. There were three generations living in an 800 square foot house and, you know, they went to their house and they were in poverty. They didn't have enough food. They had all of this land around their house and they were trying to figure uh -huh. out how to feed their family. And it was like plant, <laughs> you know, I was, I was screaming at the television, plant a garden. <laughs> you got all these people, wow. you got this free labor of three generations and all this land around, you know, seeds are cheap. You know, for you know, 80 years or so, our government gave away free seeds. Exactly. Part of a program to keep, yeah. Exactly. I'll yeah. bet you, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, Bill, or not, but I'll bet you for $40, you could buy all of the seeds for all of the varieties of plants that you would ever need to grow for the rest of your life. Oh. Well, you know, and guess what we have now? 500 seed libraries. Right. You know, and so if you were in Tucson, Arizona and did that now, uh, <laughs> their seed They're library free. system, which, you know, is connected with interlibrary loan, you could yeah. go in. They could have gone in and checked out the seeds for free. Yep. And, and 50,000 packets last year, Greg. 50,000 packets went out. Wow. Yeah. Just in Tucson? Just in Tucson, Pima County Seed Library. Yeah. Oh, my no, this God. Is working. I had no idea. This is abundance. This is there's no yeah. lack. There's you don't need forty dollars. <laughs> right. Isn't this great? You yeah. know, if you get involved and start a seed library in your town, mm -hmm. think about the potential energy. Somebody takes home one parsley seed and ends up with four hundred thousand like you did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, this is just great. I'm i I'm feeling better already. Nice. Well <laughs> you know, this is a big part of the reason I do this, so all right, so Pam yeah. from Colorado. Welcome, Pam. Pam says, one, common wisdom is to only save seeds from plants with characteristics you want. Two, on the other hand, sometimes seeds from seemingly undesirable plants of the given crop have saved the day as parent plants later on as they contain genetics that met a future need. Would you be willing to comment on these two ways of thinking about saving seeds? Is it just situational which we choose to follow? Oh, my God. Pam, that is a brilliant question. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the whole uh, history of agriculture is filled with stories about one plant uh-huh. that was different, that survived uh, either a disease, a fungus, a blight, yep. a breakout, and saved the crop, you know, for, the whole, for whole countries, for whole nations. And so you're right, those rogues that nobody wants or maybe even thought were important end up being the most important thing and they didn't reveal themselves, you know, until there was a disaster. And so, well, what I was going to say is, so some general principles, save both. Always save more than just what works for you. Save as much as you can. That's the underlying, you know, uh, principle of what you're saying is that the more diversity you have, the more likely you're going to have things down the road that you really like that you would select and save for, and those things that might save you that you don't even know about at this point. That always having diversity around is what is, you know, I'm now calling good farming. (laughs) It's a really general term, I know, but so much of what's being done in agriculture this day is not that. It's profit maximization. It's not good farming. Right. So, wow, great. That's a really wonderful way of bringing that up. I'd like to use that language. You know, I, will, I, will, I try uh, to do both. I think we are connected around another question. Someone sent me a, a question a couple of weeks ago. But here's a corollary way of thinking about this also, is that whenever you have a disaster in your, your yard or your garden or your farm and everything gets wiped out for some reason, uh-huh. somebody turned water on and left it on, as Garrison Keeler said one time, I went out and I had a little tomato patty, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All my tomatoes were in a bit of water, right? Or, or, you know, like my father forgot to water and everything was dead, you know, in northern Arizona because it was 100 degrees. Or a disease comes or whatever it is, the javelina get in. If anything survives the disaster, that's it. That's what you save seeds from. That's the most right. valuable thing you can learn. Right. And so any disaster you have is your greatest opportunity for the future. You know, that yeah. reveals the weaknesses. So whenever you walk out in your garden now, whether it's working or not working, you should have this positive state of mind going, wow, a disaster. <laughs> now right. I really get a select, you know. <clears throat> People will think you're crazy, but it's okay. You know what you're doing. Right. Right, Exactly. All right, Sam, this is a very interesting question, and I'm going to give you a one-minute timer on this one, Bill, because this one we could probably talk for weeks on. Sam in College Station says, I'm a graduate student in plant breeding, and my goal is to start a breeding organization with the goals that you are discussing. What are some things you think are most important for me to learn? Ooh. Right. See, you, I, you could talk for. Yeah, no, this is great. You know, if I were in a, a, a breeding program, if, if I were studying that in an American university right now, um, there are two things that I would want to I would if you want to be one of the world's great people in 40 years, you know, and have the glowing tears of noble men fall on your ashes after you're gone, <laughs> I would do two things. One, I would work for one of the gene giants. I would find out uh, in the field, you know, go to Salinas, California, and get involved in, with Cicada or somebody who is breeding. You know, look at what it looks like to breed vegetables for uniformity for thousands of acres. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
There's just something that happens to people. We don't want this. We, you know, Lord knows we need the food production on that level to keep our stores right. in this transitional period, right? But just see how that's done. That's the one side. The other side is I would go to India and, and maybe go through uh, Vanda Nashiva's program at Navdanya. Half of the world's farmers, half of the world's farmers live in India, 50 million wow. of them. Wow. And learn what it would take practically, how they do it practically, how they breed for their problems on their scale, which is a totally different universe. And if you did both of those things and then found a place to practically apply yourself in, in this country, you're going to turn out really great. So I look forward to this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great question. Great question. So I got a couple here from Barbara. Welcome, Barbara. She's in Longmont, Colorado. Got a lot of people in Colorado here tonight. Thank you for being here. Barbara says, with some vegetables like tomatoes, there may be viruses, other diseases, or herbicide drift that come from the environment or soil. Is it possible to save seeds from plants that are diseased? Are the seeds infected? Can you speak about what we should look for actions to take when we discover that our plants are suffering. Ooh. Rule number one with plant disease is ask around. Are there diseases that are actually actionable? Are they in action in and around your area right then? Yeah. That will delimit your universe. And you know, when most of us start thinking about plant disease, we go, oh my gosh, I saw the Westcott's plant disease book and it has 400 pages in it. How am I ever going to learn all that? Well, you don't have to. You have to learn the diseases that will affect you and the people around you. So ask what those are. Ask extension agents. There are very few diseases. I mean, from time to time, now we're seeing late blight and curly top in tomatoes. Mm. But it's not in every area. So try to find out and see if it's in your area. Now, with tomatoes especially, if you process the seeds correctly and do the wet method, that mm -hmm. method, that fermentation method, will take care of almost all. You know, you never say never, but generally takes care of the diseases that could be seed-borne. All right? So you may have had it in the plant, but what if it's the last one? What if it's the last plant ever of that kind of a tomato mm -hmm. or that you'll ever have? And it has just a little bit of a disease. Do you take the chance just to pass on the genetics or do we let that go extinct? You know, I'm of the mind, diversity is our number one goal now. I would right. try it. There are some um, hot water and other, you know, even at, at some point maybe a chemical treatment that you can do to seeds to keep them from passing on mm -hmm. a disease that was on the plant. But generally, you know, you don't even need to think about that. Ask your extension agent. Ask those around you. Generally, pesticide drift, herbicides, and those other things, don't come through the seed processing process. All right. No one I know measures or feels or sees impact from those things. You know, it may have been on the plant, but by the time you go through the process, especially tomatoes in the wet process, your seeds are pretty clean. And then just dedicate yourself to growing and saving the next round in a certified organic manner, and then those seeds will be certified organic. And that's where we really want to get. Organic right. seeds, no, no herbicides or biocides for anybody. So. So here's Barbara's second question. 
When buying seeds from seed growers out of a catalog, is it important to look for growers that are at the same elevation and latitude, or does it matter how and where they grow? Well, both. <laughs> you know, this is like the question about um, do you select for what you want, or do you re realize that it's the off types that might save you, you know? Right. We need diversity. Everybody that that is listening to this, yeah, probably doesn't matter where you are around the world. You probably need more diversity in your region if you're going to really sustain your food system in the long run. Right. That's principle number two, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I try to do both. I actually I deepen this question a little bit, and when I buy seeds out of a catalog, I not only you know lots of times the catalog will be located at your latitude or your altitude or your mm -hmm. rainfall or whatever, have a lot in common. But the seeds that they're selling weren't grown there. Right. Very few catalogs grow all their own seeds. So I always try to ask the people in the catalog where those seeds are actually grown. And then I can really dial it. And if I can find somebody who has done that, grown something in a, something that's really, really similar to me and it sounds really spectacular, bingo, bingo, bingo. I always try to get those things, but you know, in my experience, those are far and few between. Yeah. Right. So you have to look outside of that to get your other stuff, and then let your fancy run wild. Try everything. So I want to jump over and talk about a couple of things. First of all, we have Seed School Online. If you're not a graduate from any of the Seed Schools, Seed School Online is a seven-week online pre-recorded course that you can take seedsschoolonline.com this is a out came out of a conversation that Bill and Bell and Toby Hemingway the uh, now departed Toby Hemingway and a couple other people started having in are you ready for this Bill in two I think it was yeah. 2009 in Prescott oh my gosh oh my yeah it must have been yeah yeah how do we get these classes how do we get this content online so you can go to seedschoolonline.com watch a free video check it out actually if you go to seed i think seedsavinghack.org you can also download a uh, free you know webinar on how to do it actually i know where it's at it's i want to save seeds.com i remember recently i put that up so that's number 1 tell us about your seed school teacher training that you have coming up that is amazing you said you had 28 people that are in it well yeah we have room we have room for 25 and i think we already have 26 signed up so ah, nice but we'll keep doing this is our third one we're gonna, when we finish this class we'll have gosh this will be our third teacher training so this is gonna you know there's already 40 so what's that 66 people that have gone through a program and when you do go through our program you commit to at least doing two presentations on your own Right. Um, some of our students have gone on to do seed school in a day programs where it's an mm -hmm. all day. Some just do evening lectures or day lectures or whatever. But we're just, you know, we have more than a thousand graduates of our seed school programs now, uh -huh. cumulatively, from people from all over the world. And we've been, we try to be good students ourselves and listen and learn each time. Yep. We change the curriculum. We've learned the, we use the best of the permaculture, you know, teaching that they learned and try to apply that. And so all of that got boiled down into what we teach our students at Seed School Teacher Training mm -hmm. and what is really distilled in that Seed School Online. 
And so, you know, we're just learning as we go. And another, you know, seven or eight years, we'll get better at this. But, you know, that's how this is. But we, all we know is we got to do it. As I said, now that I know it's one of the principles, right? Right. It's funny how that is. It just helps clarify. You know, we got to work on the principles. And, you know, education is number seven. And so we're working on it. Yes, yes. Right. And we can all work on it. And we can all help each other work on it with programs like the Seed School Teacher Training. So if you want to, you know, take that leap and do two things. One is distill this curriculum down so that you're real clear about it and what you need to deliver if you ever teach about it. And you want to instantly build a network of people like yourself throughout the nation who are doing the same thing. And that's what comes out of Seed School Teacher Training. Then email us. Go to the RockyMountainSeeds.org site and sign up for email. Get involved with what we're doing. Email me, Bill, at RockyMountainSeeds.org. And I'll make sure you're on a list. And when we do, and it's when, you know, we, we do these things as we're pulled to do them, we'll make sure that you're in on the next round. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, and just as an aside, Greg, and you know uh-huh. this, is that we, we now require everybody that goes to seed school teacher training mm-hmm. to at least first do seed school online. And even if you've been to one of our seed school courses, our live six-day courses, yep. we like you to go back through seed school online so that you can go over the material. You know, we're so confident now that we've distilled it. There's no waste in there, people. You know, that's it's a pretty yeah. concentrated program. So. Yeah. So I got so I got two more things I want to touch on before we we check out, and that is your million seed saver concept. Tell us about that. <laughs> you know me, Greg. I'm like you. It's go big. You <laughs> or know? go home. I remember that was inspired by the time you came up to me and said, "Yeah, what we need are ten thousand urban farms in, in Phoenix. Phoenix. In Phoenix, yeah. In Phoenix." Yeah, and at the time, that just seemed like in there were how many at the time? Three? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And how many are there now? Thousands. 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 Yeah. Well, we need a million new seed savers. And so as part, I looked at the website one time for uh, Seed the Untold Story, the the Mm -hmm. documentary film that is teaching people all over about this. And they had had five million views of the trailer. Wow. And I went, wow, we might even be able to get a million seed savers. And that was happening about the time that the March on Monsanto was happening in the spring. Mm -hmm. And they actually had people in 22 countries and over a million people march against Monsanto. And so those two ideas came together and I thought, wow, what would happen if we don't march against anything anymore? Right. What if we march for? Why don't we march for seed saving? Dang straight. And that's where this, yeah, a million seed saver idea came from. And so we just have places, it, both on the Creative Collective Eye website. They're the, the makers of the film, Seed the Untold Story. They're our partners. And then on the RockyMountainSeeds.org site, you can go there and sign up. And what we're doing is building a list of people from all over the world, and it builds every day somebody signs up. Right? And some days more. It depends. And sometimes when the film shows, we get lots of them. Right. And we will collectively keep this and only use it to get us all together. You know, so when we, that critical point comes and we can all help each other in some way, we'll let everyone know what we're doing. And so that's really what it's about at this point. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So back to our Mexico trip. 
I was trying to think back. I think the first time I ran into Bells was 2003 here in Phoenix. We were both doing a – she was doing a big conference here, green conference, and I was one of the vendors there, and we became fast friends. And then when you two met, I became fast friends with you. And one of the things that I love about playing with you two is the way we dream big, you know, 10,000 urban farms. And – for me, an extension of that 10,000 urban farms was what if, and I play the what if game a lot. My entire team laughs at me. Uh, you know, it's like, uh-oh, what's coming next? And my what if <laughs> for our Mexico trip was what if we could get 10,000 people in Phoenix with seed banks in their freezer and growing out seeds? Yeah. And so – Yeah. I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that we would have had a recorder going when we were having this conversation because this is uh, coming up on, what, four years ago maybe? And we were looking at how can we make 10,000 seed banks happen in Phoenix? Because at, at that point, and I don't even know if there is one still. There's seed libraries, but uh, there's really no seed banks here. And that's where we came up with what we called the Great American Seed Up. And our next Great American Seed Up is here in Phoenix. Uh, if you want to come to it, it's on September 22nd and 23rd. And we rent a 10,000-square-foot room in central Phoenix. And what do we do in that room, Bill? We put 70 different varieties of uh, really great common garden vegetable seeds in big bowls and buckets and so what by doing that we eliminate 90 percent of the cost yeah so think about that every time you buy a packet of seeds 90 percent of the cost of that packet is in the packaging is in the packaging yeah so we just put out big buckets and let you scoop into your own bags we have little cards you can put inside so you don't have to label them and you can walk out of there with as much seed as you need and so it becomes this feeding frenzy for seed with hundreds of people. <laughs> it's just really a cool thing. Yeah. It's a, basically, it's a bulk buy of seeds. And we have designed the scoops of seed. Literally, the scoops of seed will last you the rest of your life. If you buy a scoop of basil seed, you're going to have more seed than you'll ever know what to do with. And it's it, basically, it's 10 packets of seeds per scoop if you're buying them by the packet, wouldn't you say, Bill? Well, it varies for things, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it's you know, lot. It, it gets into the level that you talk about. It's almost a survival backup thing. Right. You know, you have your own little, and it's enough for your neighbors probably and everybody around you, and yet you're just spending pennies. Like, you know, some of the scoops that we do are 75 cents, you know. Right. So 75 cents, a dollar and a quarter, and two bucks. Are the, the, and so basically imagine yourself walking into a room and, you know, there's 300 people in this room, so the, the energy is palpable in the room. And there, you know, each, each one of our different varieties of seeds is in a popcorn bucket around the room with a scoop next to it and a plastic bag for you to be able to scoop your seeds into and a business card for that particular variety so that, you know, you walk up to... Give me what's one of the varieties we're going to be using, Bill. Oh, we were talking about it today, Oregon sugar pod peas. You know. Yeah. So you walk up 
you get a little zip bag, you put your quarter cup scoop of snow, you know, sugar pod peas in there, you take a business card out of the box, you put it in the in the bag and you mark it down. Okay, I took one scoop of Oregon sugar pod peas. So, and I say we we've, we've this will be our fourth one now, and I would say we've had well over 1000 people come and participate. And the the one of the key pieces here is that we actually offer education. We, you know, we've got classes. So this this particular time we're showing the movie on Friday night and on Saturday we have classes on seed saving, seed storage and seed starting that you can actually, you know, you can actually come and learn that as well. So it's an educational based event. Now, for those of you that are not in Phoenix, Arizona, you say, "Why are you telling me this because I can't participate?" What are we doing, Bill? Well, we're trying to figure out a way to get this so that if you're um, serious about having one in your city, you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. We're trying to work out, you know, what it would take for us to duplicate the kinds of things, you know, the organizational structure and then yeah. all the sources for the seeds that we have and all those things that would be really hard for yeah. a new person to try to figure out. You know, frankly, the Great American Seed Up happens because Greg Peterson from Phoenix has a lifetime of experience in organizing things like this and gets the volunteers. There's just this huge logistical thing that it, it takes to pull it off. And then I spent 28 years buying and selling seeds for a small bioregional seed company. So I know that part. And so yeah. we came together to put this together. And now we're going to try to put all that knowledge together and the experiences we've had so that these things can happen all over the United States. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and so the, the, our other team members, let me just throw it out. It would be invaluable without our other team members. Belle, your wife, highly organized and gets stuff done. Oh, yeah. Nothing gets done without Belle there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, Kari Spencer is also one of the players. She's one of the members of our team and one of the owners of this organization. Kari is amazing at getting the content beautiful. So all the signs in the place and tracking down all the data for that and, you know, making sure that all of that is in place. And then Janice is, you know, she's our Jarvis, you know, on making sure that all the ducks are in a row and make sure it happens and day of and volunteers and that kind of stuff. So we are we are well on our way to having an infrastructure in place so that if you want to do one of these in your area, I would say within six months we'll be able to go there. So if you're if you're out there listening and you're interested in doing one of these yourself, greatamericanseedup.org. Go check out the website. You can see a video. In fact, uh, in three weeks we're shooting two more videos about this. And just you know, come on down and check it out. And you know, if you're so inspired and want to do one in your area, let's talk. Shoot us an email. Well, you know, you know, for me, Greg, the. The, the important point here is that we're not just trying to get seeds into cities. Yes. You know, yes. seeds, Thank these you. are open pollinated varieties. These are older varieties that have a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they can be adapted. They're the best ones we can find farm direct so that we can get lots of them into these places right away. Right. But the real thing is that these are the seeds that people can save. And that's why the education part is so important. You know, you come down to the Great yep. American Seed Up, and that's it. You can get a lifetime of uh, seeds and information about how to reproduce your own and adapt them. And that's really our vision for the future is that 
hopefully, uh, you know, this really is planting a seed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and people will ask me often because we get, you know, we get our seeds from some big growers out there, and they say, well, it's not local seed, and that is correct. It is not local seed. And what we have to do is we have to buy the seed, we have to grow it out, and we have to make our own local seed. That is the, that is the whole point of this. Eventually, the Great American Seed up in Phoenix won't happen anymore because we will have done our work, and people will be growing out their own seed, and we'll have seed banks, and we'll have seed libraries, and so on and so on. Oh, that's such a great idea. You know, when there is local seed and where it is, yes, we do have it. You know, that's what we try to source as much as right. we can. But that's, that's a great idea that someday it'll just morph into the Great American Seed Exchange. Right. That exactly. all those people that have come over the years that have their own seeds now and have adapted it will yep. come down and exchange with everybody. And we'll still yep. have the big party. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like oh, that. Oh, my gosh. Did we just create something new here? The yeah. Great American oh, no, Seed Exchange. No, no. <laughs> you know, I don't know. If you, if you, there would have been a recording of the conversation at that Mexico trip at the end of it when we, we fell into this idea. All I know is that it would have had a lot of, oh, 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 in it <laughs> because yeah, we got exactly. really excited. Exactly. And we're really excited still about it. It's just so much fun. Yes. Yes. Well, Bill, thank you so very much for sharing your talent with us and, and you know, all these great ideas. Yeah, I so well, appreciate you too, it. big guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, another night. Join us in another month for another Q&A. Yep, we do this once a month. Go to urbanfarm.org and add yourself to our email list. If, you, uh, if you're if you not already, that's where you find out about it. Plus, it's always listed at our on our calendar at urbanfarm.org forward slash events. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening, and I hope you enjoyed yet another version of Seed Chat with Bill and Greg. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free 
to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.